0: jump into the message. We're in week two of our James series, which is entitled Learning and Living a Faith That Works. Uh, Today, we're actually going to be in James 1, and we're going to cover chapter uh, or verse 2 through 18. But before we do that, I want to once again remind you of our theme verse that we are dealing with when we talk about James. Uh, As far as we we are concerned, as we knock it all down and remove everything, our, our main verse is James 1-4-B, which is that you would be made perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That is the point of this for us. As we look in James and we look at what James was trying to get us to understand, that's kind of our understanding, that James looked at it and he said, this is for your growth, this is to help you grow, this is not to, to belittle you or to tell you you're a whole person or, or whatever, this is to help you grow in your faith and help you to understand that God desires for you to keep to c- continuing to grow and to be made perfect in him. So today we're going to talk about again, we're going to be talking about James 1 verses 2 through 18. And basically, I've entitled this section very simply Trials and Tests and Temptations, oh my. When I was a kid, I did something because my mother loves this. My mother loves the Wizard of Oz. And so every year it seems like it was on TV. And, and I, was, I remember as a kid never really seeing black and white television unless I was watching like the Andy Griffin show or I Love Lucy or something like that. And I remember as a kid how amazing it was to be watching on a color television set something in black and white and watching Dorothy open up the door and it was in color. And how neat that was. And I just always remember watching that that, that movie with my mom and my family, and there was a scene in that where the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and Dorothy are in, I think, a forest, and they're getting scared, and they begin to say, Lions and tigers and bears. 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 And then the, the Cowardly Lion jumps out. And I always loved the Cowardly Lion because he come out and he goes put him up, put him up. And then he gets slapped and he cries. (laughs) And as I was putting this message together, I thought, trials and tests and temptations, oh my. And that's really what James 1, 2 through 18 is really about. Is this idea that we are going to face these things. We're going to deal with these things. And what do we do? So let's start with, with the first thing we're going to be talking about, which is quite simply this. Life can be and will be hard. Life can be and will be hard. Let's start with James chapter 1, verse number 2. It says this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let's stop there. Listen to what James was saying here. Now, let's, maybe before we get into that, let's talk about context for a second. We're going to be talking about that as, as we go along a lot in this. Remember who James is writing to. Last week we talked about the fact that James, in chapter 1, verse 1, basically said who his audience was, which is basically the people of the dispersion. Basically people who were suffering persecution in Jerusalem, and because of that, now they're leaving. So the first thing he hits them with in his book, besides the greeting, besides allowing you to know who he was, was basically this. Count it all joy when you meet trials or tests of various kinds. Paul, Paul, James doesn't sit here and go, if... He says, when you are going to feel those things. Listen, sometimes life is great. Sometimes life is awesome. Sometimes life is good, but life will also be hard and there will be trials and there will be tests. And you need to understand something. Okay. We need to understand something because we have a problem in our world today that we think that tests are bad. Tests are good. Okay. Now, I know that's not easy to understand, but tests are good. Tests are not bad. Test, see how if you are mastered what you have learned so you can move on to the next grade. That's what a test is. And God will allow trials and he'll allow tests to see what you've learned. My wife, as, as wonderful and as awesome as she is, and she is so great, will drive me crazy with this. Because she will remind me, I will be going through something difficult, I will be going through something hard, and she will say something like this. You know, God's probably allowing this to happen to see if we've learned what He needs us to learn. Let me, can I help you with something? Okay, and this is for me too. Are you going through the same test over and over and over again? Maybe you'll have a test or a trial, and you'll kind of get through it, and then about three weeks later, that test and trial will come again, and you'll. May I may I, may I add something to this? If God is continuing to test you in a certain area, it might mean you haven't passed the test yet. Okay? You get that? Okay? I remember as a kid taking spelling tests. I am horrible at spelling. Horrible. There are times where I can't s- spell words that you would go, really, a first grader would know that. And I have to sit there and sound it out in my head. Or, or this is great, Suri, how do you spell whatever? It's wonderful. You don't have to do spell check anymore. You just ask, and, and Suri tells you. It's great, but I'm horrible at it. But I remember as a kid, I would take those tests, and if I didn't get all five words right, guess what I had to do the next day? Take the test again. But see, we don't like tests in our world. We don't like trials in our world. Why? Because tests can not only tell you what you know, it can tell you what you don't know. And we don't like that. Let's be honest. We don't like people telling us that we don't know stuff. But God is not doing that to be mean or to be cruel. He is doing that because he desires for you to learn the material so that you can move on. So that you can grow up. So that you can become made perfect and more mature in him. Don't hate the test. Don't hate the trial. That's why James literally says, count it all joy. Is that easy? Oh my goodness, no. It's hard. But tests aren't bad. Tests are simply there to see where you're at. Listen, if I asked you personally, if I took you away into a closed room, no one would ever hear. And I'd basically say, where are you at spiritually? Would you know? Could you answer that question? And could you be able to tell me where you were and where you've come from? If not, that's a problem. Because you don't know where you're at. If I walked up to one of our teenagers and I asked them this question, what grade are you in? I would dare say they'd all know what grade they're in, hopefully. If they didn't, well, let's just say they all know, okay? That makes sense to us. Why? They know where they're at on their educational journey. Do you know where you're at on your spiritual one? If you don't, that's a problem. Do you know what you do well and what you don't do well? I just said, I'm not a good speller. I I wasn't good at math and science. I was one of the smart people who thought that stuff was crazy. And left it to people like Jonathan who does chemistry things and blows things up and wears a lab coat. I was good at history and language. I know what I'm good at and what I'm not. Do you know, spiritually speaking, where you're strong and where you're weak? Tests can bring that out. It can show us what we need to work on. It can show us where we are deficient in our faith and where God wants to infuse us with a little bit more of those things. Tests are good, but they're not easy. So let's remember a couple of things. When life is hard, when you are going through a test, when you are going through a situation or a trial, let's remember a couple of things. Number one, God isn't punishing you, okay? I've heard that so many times. God, I'm going through something difficult. I'm going through something hard. God must be punishing me, okay? I I am not going to get into the deep theological stuff here, okay? But just follow me. That is not a biblical statement. Okay? We believe that God is good and God is just. When Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross and he took on our sin and our punishment, all of God's wrath for every sin that's ever happened or ever will happen has been heaped on his son and the punishment was given to him. Okay, So when that happened, all the payment for sin has been paid. It's done, it's over. If God in turn would now be punishing you, that would not be just or justice. That would be God double dipping. God does not punish you. Now, there are times in our lives where he will allow trials and tests. There are times where in our lives the things that we do will have consequences. But God is not punishing you. God does not do that. You have to understand that. Next, God isn't failing you. God has not messed up. God has not gone, oh my goodness, I've totally forgot that situation was going on. God has not failed you. God has not abandoned you. He's not abandoned you. One of the best, most beautiful scriptures in all the Bible is the scripture that tells us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So no matter how dark the night is, God is still there and will always be there. And the final one, God won't answer every question for you. Okay, you need to understand that. I know that's sometimes Hard. I know it's hard for me. I think for some reason that God owes me an explanation. We don't see that. In fact, we see kind of the opposite. God does not owe you an explanation. He does not have to answer every question because he is God and we're not. And that's where trust and sometimes faith has to come in. But God is not going to answer every question. It is something that we have to understand, though. It is something that we have to get through our heads. That sometimes life is going to be hard. Peter wrote, listen, don't be surprised when you face fiery trials. I think sometimes, let's be honest, we're surprised. Like something not positive will happen. And it's like you get this look on your face like, "I I can't believe this. What is happening here? The Bible is very clear. Don't be surprised. When you go through these things... Jesus said it too. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have pain. You will have hard moments. But take heart, for I've overcome it all. I've overcome the world. So we have to understand that. Moving on to the next part of James chapter 1. We find this and we need to understand this, and this is what I think James is trying to get us to understand, is while you are in a trial, ask these questions, okay? While you are in a trial, we need to be asking these questions. We need to be looking at these things, okay? Number one, what is this really about? What is this trial really about? Let's look at James 1 and 2, okay? Again, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Number three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness what is the re- what is this really all about why am i going through this why is a situation happening why so that god can produce things in you god wants to produce things inside of you i realized something we we have a, a rental house that we're living in right now and and we had that hailstorm remember that big old hailstorm that was crazy that was nuts. I see some, some, some sad faces. I think things got dented probably or things got broken for that hailstorm. I've never seen hail like that. And it was crazy. And after that was over, I went outside. And I started looking in the yard. And I noticed something about this big, maybe a little bit bigger. There were these little green things on the ground. I was like, what are those things? And I reached down. I picked one up. I took it into the house. I cut it open. We have an apple tree. I didn't know we had an apple tree. I don't know if it's really going to produce apples, but it produced those little things. And I went, oh my goodness, that was an apple tree. Sometimes trials will happen so things can get produced in your life. Sometimes God will allow those things to happen so that God can produce Fruit in you. Remember what Jesus said. I ask, I desire that you produce much fruit. Now let's turn around and let's talk about something else that may be not so pleasant. Isn't it strange? I lived in that house and have lived in that house since December. And I never knew it was an apple tree. Try not to hit too close to home, but yeah, I kind of actually am. Trying to hit really close to home. Do, Do people know that you produce fruit? Do people, and I think you'll follow me here, do people know in your work, in your school, in your, your life, that you're an apple tree? Your neighbors, do they know you're an apple tree? Are you producing fruit? You see, sometimes God will allow those things to happen so that your fruit can be more produced. So it can be more visible. I, it took a hailstorm. For me to understand what was around me. Sometimes, listen to me and catch this. This is important. Sometimes God will allow trials and temptations and tests. Not temptations, excuse me. Strike temptations. We'll talk about that in a minute. Tests and trials in your life. Because he wants people around you to see your fruit. Okay? To see your fruit. Sometimes we don't do a very good job, let's be honest, with expressing our fruit. But I will say this, I've seen in trials, you know, you've heard the phrase, when the grapes are squeezed you see what's inside what the juice is, sometimes God will allow those things because there are people in your life that need to see that you're an apple tree sometimes we get real wrapped up that it's all about me sometimes those trials are about you but they're also about people in your lives so that God is wanting to show your fruit to and I know it's not easy and it's not fun But it's sometimes the truth. God is producing something in you. And a lot of times he will use that. So when you're in a trial, ask that question. What is this really about, God? What is this really about? Number two, another very important one. What should I be learning? What should I be learning? Let's look at James 1. It says that you may be perfect, mature, and complete. Lacking in nothing. God is wanting to train you through this. God is wanting to help you understand things through this. God is wanting you to learn through these things. Let's look at Romans, the fifth chapter. It says this. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering, once again, check it out, produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Can I talk about something really, really quick? I know I don't have a ton of time, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, Character, godly character... We are missing that in our culture today. Godly character. An individual who do the right thing at the right time when nobody else is watching. And these things are produced in us. We rejoice in suffering because we know the suffering help us to learn these things. And when we learn these things, things happen inside of us that change. Let's look at 1 Peter the first chapter in that, ver- in that chapter. It says, so be truly glad... All these are so weird to me because all of them have the same idea. We need to be excited in trials. We need to be excited in the test. Because what's happening here is there's things that are great that are taking place. Is, there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials, check out that word many, for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. I like that word, Genuine. That's why I use uh, this 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 verse in this or this um, translation. I like that word "genuine." Nobody wants a fake. Nobody wants a phony. Nobody goes to New York City and buys a fake Coach purse and then walks around and goes, "Fake purse." Nobody goes and buys a fake Rolex and goes, "Hey, look at my watch. It's a fake." We want the genuine. We want the real deal. And to get that in our lives, the faith comes from the trials and the tests. That's what it produces. It produces a real faith. It produces something deep and special inside of us. As we go back to this idea of perfect that we see in verse number uh, uh, 4, you need to understand what in the Greek that really means. In the Greek it means perfect or functioning for the purpose that it was designed functioning for the purpose it was designed. See, God wants to use you for a function and he wants to get you to that place where you're ready to be used in a powerful way. And that doesn't mean you don't do anything till you attain perfection. It means that you are being used and designed as you go to do the things that God has for you to do. That's why we want to grow. That's why we want to do those things. We want to be functioning that way. Number three, am I seeking help ...from the correct source. Look at James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom... ...let him ask God... ...who gives generously to all without reproach... ...and it will be given to him. And it will be given him. Now, we need to stop here for a second. Okay, I know that we have a couple realtors. I know we have some people that know about real estate. And I am going to ask this question. Please answer it correctly... ...because you know what the answer is... ...and probably most of you do... ...even if you don't know anything about real estate. What are the three most important rules in real estate... Location, 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 right? When you're studying God's word, when you're understanding what God is trying to say, let me help you. There are three very important rules. Are you ready? Context, context, and context. Who's writing? Why are they writing? What's going on? And we need to understand something here. This verse is used a lot in reference to wisdom. And it is about wisdom, obviously. But it is embedded here in the understanding of what's happening in the midst of a trial and a temptation. Do you get that? You can't just reach in sometimes, grab and go, oh, this is about wisdom. Yeah, it's about wisdom in the midst of a trial and a test. We love when we're going through something difficult to run to each other or run to a self-help book or run to Oprah or run to the internet. And listen, listen, that stuff is okay after you've gone to God and asked his wisdom on the matter. And asked him what he wants to do. Listen, let me help you with this. If you're in the midst of a trial and you're not praying, Father, give me wisdom on how to handle this, how to learn from it, how to understand what's going on, you are missing a big part of your test. God wants you to have his wisdom. He will give it to you generously, not begrudgingly, not how could you come to me and ask for this. He's more than happy, desires to give it to you, but it's embedded in this test and trial. Don't forget to go to God in the midst of these things. It's embedded there. Now, in a minute, in just a second, we're going to move on to number three. And we're going to talk about temptation. But before we do, I want to break right here and I want to tell you something that you need to understand. There is a difference between tests and trials and temptations. And it's going to shoot up on the screen right here because you need to understand this. The goal of a test or a trial is growth. The goal of temptation is that you sin and fall. You have to understand that. A test and a trial is there for your growth that can come from God or God can allow those things. But temptation is there so that you will sin and fall. So there is a major difference between... That's why when I was talking earlier, I stopped and I said, you need to take temptation out of that because that's not right. They're different. So let's move on now and let's talk about temptations. Let's see what James wanted us to understand in the midst of temptations. Because we're all going to face temptations. Listen, temptations are not a measure of your spiritual maturity. You are not going to get to a place where you have reached so much spiritual maturity that you will not be tempted. You want an example? I'll give it to you one. Okay, you ready? There was this guy that we all know named Jesus. Who was tempted in every way. i got to believe he was a little more mature than me. And if Jesus experienced temptation all through his life, we will too. We will too. So in the midst of those things, we need to look and see and understand a couple things. Number one, we need to recognize the source. Look at James 1.13. It says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He himself tempts no one. God is not up in heaven blotting your demise. God is not there rubbing his hands together and saying, let's see if they can do this. The enemy is the tempter. The enemy is the father of all lives, not our father. Our Father is good. Our Father does not do things that tempt us. He doesn't do those things. Temptation comes, but you have to realize the source. Because I've seen people that think that way, that God is tempting me, that God is out to get me, that God is trying to get me to fall and mess up, and it's not biblical biblically god does not tempt us so we have to recognize where it is coming from number 2 we need to understand the process we need to understand the process it is very it's a lot easier in in a sporting event to stop a play or to stop someone from scoring or to hit a pitch if you know what is coming we have that in Our word, God God shares that with us and we need to understand the process. But let's look at James 1, 14 through 15. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So let's look at the enemy's playbook for a second. And let's watch the progression that we see. First, it starts with a temptation. It starts with something that we go, oh. Something comes. Now, listen. There are going to be things that you are tempted on that I'm not. And that, 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 that I struggle with that are very easy for you. That's why judgmental people drive me crazy. Because they'll sit there and they'll, they'll come to me and they'll look at me and go, how could you mess up in that area? Because they don't struggle there. And then they'll go to some... And, 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 but they'll forget the fact that they struggle in their area. And we love to do that. We love to say, well, well you know, my sin... Yeah, yeah, you've heard this before. My sin, I had a little white lie. And you... your know, Sin is sin. It separates us from God. And so we all are going to deal with those temptations. They're all going to come. The next that comes after temptation is kind of this fantasy. This fantasy of, 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 could I do that? Here's what I always hear. Can I get away with that? I'll talk to people and it's like they, they'll, they'll have this feeling, they, they'll have this conviction from the Holy Spirit that, that that is not something they need to be doing, but they'll fantasize on like how close they can get to that line before they fall off. And so we begin to think, well, well, what if I did that? What if that happened? What if? What if? What if? And the next that we begin to see is the moving towards sin. That movement towards sin. That basically, you know, we we we've had the temptation. Now we thought, could we get away with it? Now we're we're actively pursuing it. Now we're actively doing it. Now we're moving towards it in a very, very firm, focused way. And then there is the act of sin. The actual act of it, which is pretty self-explanatory. But after that, that, of course, without forgiveness, without Jesus, leads to death. That's the progression. This is a progression that we see in James 14 and 15. We see this progression. One of, the, one of the best examples that we have of this in the Bible is the sin of David and Bathsheba. I don't have time to get into it right now, but, but, but Google it or find it in your, your Bible. I'm not sure if uh, I think it's the second Samuel, but forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, where you see David and Bathsheba's sin and you see this just bam, 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 bam. And it eventually does lead to the death of their child. God has shown us the process, and we need to understand it. Next, and the final one, is learn to overcome it. Learn to overcome that temptation. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. We all deal with it. They're not, none of them are special. We all deal with this stuff. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen, no matter what temptation you are facing, God can get you out. There will be a way out. But listen, you got to take it. I remember this story as a kid about the guy who was in the flood. You remember the story? And he's sitting on top of his house. And the helicopter comes, and the boat comes, and all this stuff comes. And he's sitting there, and, and oh, God's going to save me. God's going to save me. God's going to save me. Finally, the flood where go up. He drowns. He goes to heaven. He goes up to God. God, why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent a boat and a helicopter. What more do you need? you got to take the escape. But let's be honest. Sometimes that temptation, we want to do it. Sometimes that temptation is not run and flee from it. It's embrace it. So we overcome by the word of the Lord, by the, the testimony of the Lord and the word of. I, I, I just messed that up. We overcome it. Hmm, I just forgot that verse. Somebody help me. The word of the Lord. And the word of our testimony. Yeah, well, we're moving on. You Hopefully you, you know what I'm going to say or understand. And I, I apologize. Yeah, leave him with a. With a sense of awe, I guess, yeah. But the bottom line is this. God's got us. God will help us. God is faithful. And God is not going to give you a temptation that is so great that it will destroy you. He won't. He will help you, and he will provide a way of escape. And the final verse that we're going to look at is John fourteen fifteen, Because this is important as we wrap this up. As, as John and the worship team want to come on up. Or, or John... John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, I think we've gotten some things wrong, okay? When it comes to following Jesus and when it comes to understanding Jesus, we at times as the church, and and maybe I'll just say as pastors, because that's me, we have gone a route of fear, shame, and 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 I'll be honest with you, it hadn't worked. You see, Jesus gave us an understanding here in a very short, very simple verse. He simply said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will not fall to that temptation. Now I know we all fall and we all mess up. I get all that stuff, okay? But we've got to understand that we do what we do because we love Jesus. God is a good father. God is a good dad. God is not sitting there with a lightning bolt or a stick ready to pound you when you mess up. He loves us. And in turn, He's asking us to do what He says. Because we love him. If you're a parent or will be a parent, think about this. Do you want your kid to do what you say because he's afraid of you? I'm not talking about respect here. I'm talking about genuine fear. Or do you want them to do it because they love you? Because they've seen you care for them. Listen, I don't want my kid to play in the street because he's afraid of the cars. I want him to not play in the street and obey me in that because he knows his dad loves him. And if his dad loves me, then I know he's doing that for a reason. And it's not based on fear. It's based in love. Do you understand how much the father loves you? Do you get it? And listen, I'm not talking about a a, a general head knowledge. I'm talking about something that touches you deep inside your soul. We do what we do because He loves us. You need to understand this. Temptation is not a test of your self-control. It is a test of your love for Jesus. When you say no to temptation and you overcome it, You're not just saying no to that temptation. You're saying yes to the love of your Father. You're saying yes, God, I trust that your plan is better than my plan. I trust that you've asked me not to go there because that is damaging to me and hurtful to me and can cause problems in my life. And you're not doing it because you can. You're doing it because you love. We have a problem with the word no in our world. Do you realize... And a lot of times, there is a lot more love in a no than there is in a yes. We'll sit there and say, oh, God loves me when he says yes. No, 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 no. God loves you just the same, if not more, when he says no. Because he has something better for you. He has something greater for you. He wants to keep you from something that's going to hurt you or hurt others. Or hurt your relationship with him. Temptation is not something that we can look at and go, wow, look at my self-control. It is a symptom or an understanding of how wonderful we love Jesus. And we're not perfect in this. That's obvious. But at the same time, I want to say no to sin. Not because I just don't want to go to hell. But because I want to experience Jesus right now. When sin separates me from him, I don't get that. And all of a sudden, things change. Things change. You begin to love each other better. You begin to love your spouse and your kids better because now the love of Christ is bubbling up inside of you and it's getting all over the place and it's just beautiful. Then people see your love and they see Jesus in that. I know it sounds simple, but if we could just truly understand how much God loves us. We grew up as kids in church and we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. So the Bible tells me so. Do you really get that? No, no, no. I mean, not, not yes, I understand theology, the, you know, how theology works. Right? Jesus is love and blah, 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 blah. Do you really get that? I don't care if you're 12 or 112. Do you understand that? Because I'm just going to be real bold here right now. It's going to be pretty obvious if you do or not. Because if you do, everything changes. Every trial has a silver lining. Every temptation is it is a wonderful example to show others that you don't have to go there because you have the love of the Father, and that's all you need. In our world today, I think we have a problem. In the church, and it's quite simply this: we really don't understand how much God loves us. And if we could. If we could grasp that simple, basic song, everything would change. But listen, trials, temptations, tests, they are coming, they are here, they will be coming, they're a part of our lives. And yes, we can look at them and have our pity party and say, woe is me. Or we can be like James we can count it all joy because we're getting things produced in us God's pruning us to produce much fruit when the temptations come and they will come we can let that be a shining example of saying no to sin and yes to the love of the Father will we be perfect? of course not but we can be better than we were yesterday. We can grow in him. So I'm going to pray. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come back and lead us in a closing chorus. Pray with me right now. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for this morning. Father, we will face trials. We will face tests. There will be temptation from the tempter. And Father, those things are coming. They are going to be here. They are a part of our daily lives. But Father, we can learn from them. We can grow from them. We can allow them to be something that show us where we are on our grade. And when those temptations come, we can stand against them. We can run from them. And we can run to your love and run to your arms and say, Father, your plan is better than my plan. Your your goal for me is better than my goal for me. And I choose love, not sin. I choose to say yes to you and no to the enemy. Because we're all going to deal with it. We're not going to reach a place where the trials stop and the temptations stop until we're with you for eternity. But during this time right now, we, we come to you and we say we need your help. They're coming and we want to be ready. We want to ask for that wisdom. We want to ask for that understanding that comes in the midst of those things. But Father, through it all, through every trial, test, and temptation, oh my, behind it all is your love. Because you discipline those you love. And you make an escape in temptation for those you love. And because you have shared your love with us and expressed it even by the giving of your Son on the cross, we in turn will love you back because you loved us first. And we will do what we do, not out of a religious obligation, not out of fear, guilt, or shame. But we will do it because you have loved us. Father, I pray right now for a new understanding of how much you love us. Father, a deeper understanding. For an understanding that changes everything. For an understanding that changes the deep, dark places in our lives. That can remove the hurt and the guilt and the fear. Because you love us. Because perfect love drives out all fear. But if we don't understand your perfect love, how can it drive out our fear and our hurt and our shame? Father, let us do what we do. Because you love us and we are driven by that. The way we worship. The way we live. The way we experience you and each other. We love you. We thank you.